we don't put enough emphasis on just the importance of wrestling with the truth of it all. We always want to make everything applicable or it quote unquote doesn't matter. But sometimes the application is knowing God better. And if that's not good enough, I really don't know what to tell you. Other than maybe you need to stop being so busy looking for something to go and do, and you maybe just need to take some time to sit and be with God. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Brother Matthew podcast. I am your host, Brother Matthew. Right up front, before we get started, I'm going to remind you to support the show. If this is YouTube, like, subscribe, hit the button, do the thing. If you have Apple, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, share this thing. Tell your friends. Even if you hate it, you can do the, oh my god, this is awful, you have to hear this thing. We have Patreon. And we have a merch store on the website. Follow us on all the socials at BromatMim. We have TikTok now as well, although I'm not sure how to use it yet for the podcast. Okay. So last time we talked, we talked about Jesus as the Word made flesh, divine logos with skin on, with the divine speech, the same commands that created all things, the same words that spoke you and spoke me into existence, became personified in the incarnation of the Son. Literally, the words that spoke, let there be light, then became the word made flesh, creation itself. Or rather, the power of creation is embodied in the person of Jesus, the Son of God. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the Son? That is today's question. This is an interesting topic because really this gets to the heart, to the depths of some of the oldest debates within Christian understanding, which really is Christ's divinity and therefore by extension, the Trinity. Because really, what does it mean that Christ is the Son of God, but also that he is God the Son? So, to be a son has different connotations, really. I, I'm not going to focus too much on what it means to be God's offspring, as we are going to get into more of the physical aspects next time when we talk about the Son of Man. But I do want to touch on it some, just so we can cover the sonship of the Incarnation and not just Jesus as the Eternal Son. Good Lord, that's so much. Uh, I, I just want everyone to know how much weight there is to this topic theologically and how much there is to wade through if I was going to do this from a fully academic perspective. I may get something wrong. And if I do, I just ask the more academic side of my listeners not label me a heretic. This is stuff I'm working out for myself for the first time. 
It's one thing to memorize creeds and confessions and catechesis questions. It's another to explore the nature of divine sonship for yourself. For my more spiritual listeners, I promise all this talk of divine natures and sonship and all the things has an application. It has a meaning for you and for me, just beyond understanding the nature of Christ, which honestly in and of itself is important. We don't put enough emphasis on just the importance of wrestling with the truth of it all. We always want to make everything applicable, or it quote-unquote doesn't matter. But sometimes the application is knowing God better. And if that's not good enough, I really don't know what to tell you. Other than maybe you need to stop being so busy looking for something to go and do, and you maybe just need to Take some time to sit and be with God. Jesus is the Son of God. But where to start? So, to be a son can mean to be a descendant, right? To be descended from. In this case, to be descended from God. It can also mean adoption, as it does for us, as we are adopted sons and daughters of God, because he called us his own. So let's look at both of these. Let's start with the Theotokos, or the idea of the mother of God, because obviously Jesus is God, but he was also born. So there's a sense where in the incarnation, at least, Jesus is also physically the son of God. Mary was impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit. How that works precisely, we don't really know. Most likely, Jesus genetically would have been a male clone of his mother. Without chromosomal information received from a father, his genes would have been a copy of his mother's genes, other other than the activated Y chromosome. Not super important to the topic, but cool sciencey stuff nonetheless, and part of what we do here at Brother Matthew. Except to say that I don't think we can, from a genetic standpoint, even tackle the idea of God the Son, because God does not have genes and whatnot, not at least as far as we know. So because we can't look at it from that perspective, we need to look less at the Incarnation and more at Christ as the Eternal Son, the Only Begotten. In Roman culture, at the time and the place that Jesus was and that his disciples were, the idea of Roman sonship was an entirely different thing. Part of this comes from understanding honor and shame cultures, which is an entirely different topic for another day, but definitely something to get into as we eventually shift past foundational beliefs to actually looking at the scriptures and reading them, both from a historical hermeneutic, but also a place of encounter. Anyway, in Rome... 
Someone could be your blood and be rejected as your son and have no familial birthrights or ties of power or authority or any of those things. You could also take someone in and make them your son. You could give them your sign and your seal. But not only that, with that sign and seal, they obtain the promise to your rights and your authority and your station and your lands and your servants and your whatever. But also, they became as if they were you. If they went before a council or went to the market or whatever they did, they did so under the sign of that seal. They were given the authority that came with the sign and the seal of their father. So in this way, Jesus is the son of God. In this way, we are sons of God. We are stamped and sealed with the Holy Spirit. We have God's authority for dominion over his creation. Now, I know I say dominion, and that makes a lot of people squirm. Because we have Christian nationalism out there right now, and we have theonomy out there right now, and I'm not necessarily saying it in that way. But, at the same time, if that aspect is true, it's true regardless of what camp it may come from, or what it could look like or be construed as. No, I don't care about those things. I do care what's true. Even if this true thing is from this camp and this true thing is from that camp and what have you, all I care is what's true. That we carry God's authority for dominion over his creation, as per the Genesis account. So part of the question in all of this with sonship is that we have to ask ourselves, does that mean Jesus had a start? I mean, the incarnation did. He was born of the Virgin. If you do the astrological work to line up prophecies and those sorts of things, as John did in Revelation, speaking of the sun covering the Virgin with the moon beneath her feet, we get the sun intercepting the constellation of Virgo, which happens for 20 days with the moon beneath the feet of the constellation. This occurred in 3 BC. Okay? Apologetic tangent over. I said all of that to say that the incarnation had a beginning. Jesus was born of a virgin in the city of David, most likely in 3 BC. But as we talked about last time, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we know that Jesus already existed, that the Word was out there as God. I almost said part of God, but I don't want to say that because that's not correct. God is not made of parts. This is what we call divine simplicity. It's part of classical theism, which sadly isn't taught anymore, but it should be. It's why so millennial evangelicals become Catholics, because of the robust orthodoxy surrounding the nature of God. Anyway, I derailed myself yet again. When we get into the Trinity and the creedal formulations, we will look at that closer. 
all of that is to say that the Father, Son, and Spirit are not parts. Each person of the Trinity is wholly God. They are fully God. Jesus isn't part of God. The Father isn't part of God. The Spirit isn't part of God. That implies that you need all three to make the whole, and then each part by itself is incomplete. But we know that each person of the Trinity is fully God. They contain the wholeness of the essence of God. They have the same essence. They are homoousius, right? That's the Nicene Creed. That's the entire debate over Arianism. What is the eternal nature of the Son? And really, what is the nature of the Son as a whole? If we look at Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15, going to verse 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So here, really, we have a mirroring of John 1, which of course mirrors Genesis 1. This is one of those hyperlinks. One of those threads that connects through all scripture through the person of Christ. What does it mean to be firstborn of all creation? Again, I ask the question, was Jesus born? Did he begin to exist? Or is firstborn a title? Is it a role? Is it Christ's divine appointment to be as a son to the Father? We see as we move through verses 16 and 17 that all things were made through him. As that goes the last episode, the creation came through the divine logos, and that all things were made for him. So all things belong to the Son. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Let's also look at the beginning of Hebrews which echoes this yet again. He gets more into the title of sonship as we were addressing earlier when we discussed adoption. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Can we sit in that for a second? So John and John, Paul and Colossians, and now the author of Hebrews all make this link. 
between the sun and creation. It says he appointed the sun, the heir of all things through whom he created the world. Yes. More evidence for last week's discussion. Christ is the divine logos. That the very words, the very power of God by which all things are made that have been made is the Son himself. The power personified not only is the word made flesh, as we discussed last time, but the power personified is the Son of God. So Jesus, as the heir to the throne of God, the prince of the universe, gave up that mantle, that power and authority that came by being at the right hand of God and condescended himself into the form of a man. To condescend in this sense means to do something that is beneath one's station or dignity. The creator lowered himself to the point of becoming like his creation. So we know that as the son of God, as we discussed earlier, he has the sign and the seal of the father. The same authority and power as the Father through his sonship. So, if the Word, if Jesus has always been, and he's not a son in the sense that he was born as an offspring of the Father, not speaking of the incarnation, but of the eternal begotten one, then we can assume, and I believe rightly so, that the sonship of Christ in this respect is a title. It is an allusion to the Roman adopt idea of adopted sonship. Christ, Jesus, Yeshua, Yesu, whatever it is you call him, friend, Lord, Savior, Messiah, Mashiach, that he has the title and role and purpose of son. The way in which he relates to the father is the way in which a son relates to a father. So, Jesus was not created. He is eternal. But he has this station of son. And he does so partly as Christus exemplar, or Christ the example. In his sonship, in his obedience to the Father, in the ways that he reflects the Father, in the ways that he carries God's power and authority, he exemplifies that for us and in us through his Spirit. If, if we are to live this out as little Christs, it means that we too are sons of God but only by belief. The New Testament tells us that we are adopted sons and daughters of God, that we are grafted into the vine. There's a common belief, a common misnomer out there that we are all children of God. But I would say, no. We're all created by God. We are his creation. We all carry the dignity and the honor that is due us as the Imago Dei, or the image of God, whatever that means. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, 
each of us starting as a thought in the mind of God and then being created through the divine logos as a singular act of creation, speaking us into existence. Each of us distinct and singular from each other. I suppose we're all children of God in this sense, but we are children with no birthright, children with no inheritance. Sonship in the way we're talking about, in the way that holds power and authority, that holds the sign and seal, comes through adoption. Through faith, we are made adopted sons and daughters of God partakers in the divine nature of Christ through the sign and seal of the Holy Spirit. So to recap, Jesus is the Son by title, authority, power, role, and station. And he obeys the Father in this way, while being equal to the Father in essence of divinity and power and omniscience and in all the ways no less God than the Father or the Spirit, yet by divine agreement obeyed the Father. Even unto death on the cross, he exemplifies for us what sonship to the Father looks like. When Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, where if you have a kingdom now, a more realized, actualized eschatology. Not to say there isn't a future kingdom coming, but more to say that there is a kingdom now. Then you believe that Christ is reigning and ruling now, through the church, by the power of the Holy Spirit, since he's God the Son and the Son of God, as we've said, he carries that seal and that power and the name and the title that goes with being the Son of God. He has God's stamp and seal. So do we. We are stamped and sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are the rule of Christ mobilized. The Holy Spirit is in power in us. And it is through us and the spreading of the gospel, both the good news of Christ crucified and by the love of neighbor, showing by both word and deed the reality of the goodness of God, and maybe justice and equity and equality and all of those things. Well, I'm not yet convinced of the social gospel, here is what I do know. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. And that God himself became one of us and lived in obedience to the law, which no natural man can accomplish. He has done all good things on our behalf through obedience to the Father, up to and including death on a cross, which he did not deserve. Was this an act of substitution? Was it a ransom? Or did he die simply to rise again and have victory over death? The more I study the atonement, the more I believe in aspects of all the theories, but that any one theory by itself is incomplete. But I digress. I was saying I'm not convinced of the social gospel. But what I do know 
is that we are adopted sons and daughters through faith in Christ, co-heirs to the throne of God, and that through the Spirit, we carry the stamp and the seal of God's power and authority. And it is our duty to live the kingdom. In word and in deed, share the gospel to live in a way that reflects the reality of the goodness of God, to encounter God in such a real, tangible way that we walk away changed, that our lives when examined of tangible breadcrumbs, a through line of divine intervention. We have looked at what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God by title, right, and authority. And we too are sons of God, sealed by the Spirit for good works prepared in advance. So go and do, which isn't something I say often. Bye for now.